Hey, this is Saturday Sports on TSN 690, the debut episode. I'm Joey Alfieri. I'll be on 10 to noon every Saturday bringing you all my latest sports takes. Really excited for this new adventure, and I appreciate you checking in over the next couple of hours. You can get in touch with the program a couple different ways. You can tweet me at Joey Alfieri or at TSN 690. You can also text me at 11690. We've got a full show. Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets joining us at 1035. Vasily Kremenzidis, the assistant sporting director of the Montreal Impact, will join the show at 11.05. And Canadian Football Hall of Famer Uzuma Okiki will check in at 11.35 to tell some stories about Mike Pringle, Don Matthews, and the 2002 Grey Cup run. I'm sure we'll also get into some Habs talk. We'll break down the Phil no situation. Where does he end up? What does it mean for his future that the Canadians are gauging trade interest for him around the league? But we got to start with Game 7 last night. Van Vliet sends it now. Surge with the three. And he sticks it. Bucket and bucket. Wrapped his high percentage. Three-point shots that time, in rhythm, good spacing, great pick and pop. Norman Powell able to grab it, and the runners by Tatum right here's Powell and exploding to the rim. Playoff right Powell, playing the city game, Matty D. Get the ball in there; it'll open up three-point opportunities. You just can't settle for threes. Operating back up top to Kyle Williams on him, crossover. Driving, great job of utilizing the body and then getting right to the rim. Yeah, Raptors-Celtics last night. If you were listening to uh, Melnick in the afternoon yesterday, you heard my take. Uh, I did not have a good feeling for the Raptors going into last night. I just felt like all the minutes that they had played in Game 6, and and really it was just kind of an accumulation of what they had to overcome in the series. I, I, I didn't have a good feeling going into it. Um, some of their older players, like Marcus Saul, I know he didn't play as much in uh, in Game Six in the Raptors' double overtime win, uh, but Kyle Lowry did. OG Ananobi played more uh, than he typically does in that game, and I just felt like overcoming that O2 deficit early on, uh, fighting through double overtimes, like we mentioned in Game Six to force a Game Seven. I just, I for whatever reason, I just, I didn't feel like the Raptors were going to be in a good spot. And look, after the first quarter, after, you know, at halftime, even going into the fourth quarter, the Raptors were right there. They were in it. I give them credit. They 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 overcame the fact that they turned over the ball so much. And in the second quarter, I think they had double-digit turnovers. And they finished with 18 turnovers. The Celtics uh, were able to capitalize uh, turning those 18 turnovers into 31 points. And you just you, it just looked like Toronto was running on fumes. It didn't really have much left in the tank. And listen, uh, it was a good run. They uh, they look they might look <laughs> they might look quite a bit different going into next season. But I mentioned this, you know, I mentioned this throughout the week. I think the Raptors were all in clearly last season, right? They make the big trade. They send DeRozan to the San Antonio Spurs. They end up getting Kawhi Leonard. They end up getting Danny Green. Both guys 
helped them win a championship. Kawhi Leonard a little bit more uh, than Danny Green did, but Danny Green was still an important part of that team. And you felt like whatever happened this year would kind of be a bonus, and that's the way it worked out. And I know, look, I know the Raptors blew expectations out of the water coming into this year. They lost Kawhi and they lost Danny Green. Uh, Both guys ended up going to L.A., different L.A. teams. But, look, I, I think if you're a Toronto Raptors fan, whether it's new or whether you've been with them, you've been riding with them since day one, I think you look at this whole situation and you realize that these were a couple of positive years. Look, coming into this year, I didn't know what to expect from the Raptors. I don't think many people did, and I don't think many people predicted them to finish second in the Eastern Conference. Let's be real. Kawhi Leonard walks out the door. I know that they're still a talented team. I thought they'd make the playoffs. I thought they'd be, you know, a five, six, seven, eight, maybe. But I didn't I didn't think that they'd finish second only to Milwaukee, who also got bounced in the first round. So I, I give the Toronto Raptors credit for, you know, the, the chances that they took with Kawhi Leonard, with Danny Green. It paid off. They won a championship. And I don't care who Golden State didn't have or did have. At the end of the day, you look at the summer of 2019, Toronto Raptors are, were NBA champions. Now they've got some questions. And obviously following along on social media last night, and you might be, like I said, you might be a new Raptors fan. You might be uh, somebody who's been on the bandwagon from, from day one. You might be a diehard basketball fan. You might follow other teams in the league. Uh, you might not. Maybe you just watch the Raptors. Pascal Siakam definitely struggled in the series. I think he struggled against Brooklyn too. They just, they didn't need, they didn't need him to be great against Brooklyn because they were just they were clearly better than a Brooklyn Nets team with no Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and company. But the thing is, don't fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, Pascal Siakam's a terrible player. Because I've seen it, it's all over social media in the last couple of days. And just don't fall into the trap. Like we can all acknowledge that he struggled. We can all acknowledge that it wasn't pretty at different times in the series for most of the series, actually. And as much as he struggled, I want to give the Boston Celtics credit because I do think their head coach, Brad Stevens, drew up a perfect game plan for Pascal Siakam. I thought Jalen Brown did an outstanding job on Pascal Siakam throughout the series. And they made life difficult for him. They made him earn everything. And I think he ran out of answers. But here's the thing. like Pascal Siakam is the piece that Toronto's building around going forward. Kyle Lowry... Love him. He's in his mid-30s. He's got one year left on his deal. Fred Van Vliet, unfortunately, not sure if you heard Kyle Lowry speak about Van Vliet last night after the game, but pretty much (laughs) he sounded convinced that Fred Van Vliet's going to walk in free agency and he's been uh, linked to the New York Knicks and he might make as much as $20 million a year. Fred Van Vliet went from basically, you know, undrafted prospect the G League was a bench player, and he ended up becoming a very important part of a championship team. So you give the Raptors credit for finding him, but you also have to realize that he's going to go out and take this opportunity to get himself paid, and I'm not convinced that he's going to be back. So 
Pascal Siakam is is the guy that they're building around. And don't let one series or one playoff run cloud your judgment. Pascal Siakam is an all-star. 100%. I know Raptors fans are disappointed by the overall performance. He clearly could have done a lot more to help the team advance. And you know what? Maybe if he's even just a little bit better, they end up going through last night. But don't fall into this trap of thinking that he's a terrible player and you know they can't build around him and that he's not a star. Look, he's not an A-list star. There, there's no doubt about that. But Pascal Siakam is the piece right now. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo has been linked to Toronto. That's fine and dandy. That's not this summer. That's next summer if it happens at all. But there's going to be a lot of change over the next couple of years, and we've already seen some of it with the summer of Kawhi last year. We talked about Fred Van Vliet might bolt in free agency this year. The Raptors will probably look very different in the front court next year as Marcus Gasol, who also struggled in the series, and Serge Ibaka. They're both free agents. So they can look different. Masai Ujiri, Nick Nurse, a lot of the Toronto front office, they're heading into the final year of their contracts. So this thing could look a whole lot different in a year from now. Even more different than it's probably going to look next year. More different than it looked this year. But if you take this mini chunk of the last couple of years, we'll see what they do next year. But if you take this and you look at it as a whole, globally, I think you'd be pretty surprised and you'd be impressed that the Raptors were able to accomplish what they accomplished. Won a title. They didn't really have that championship hangover. They came back. uh, We're second best team in the East. They went on pause for a while, came back, finished the season strong uh, when the regular season did resume, beat Brooklyn, they swept the Nets, and now all of a sudden they ran into a very, very good Boston Celtics team and uh, with their best player uh, didn't play well. But Pascal Siakam is the piece that they're building around. That's my point. So, again, don't, don't fall into this oh, Pascal Siakam's no good, or Pascal Siakam needs to go. It's not happening. This is the piece that they need to build around. And I just hope, look, it's a hard lesson to learn. You know, watching uh, Pascal Siakam at the podium last night, he looked wrecked. He looked absolutely destroyed. I've never seen him look like that. But this is the guy that they're building around for now. This is the guy they signed to the max deal. This is the guy for the Toronto Raptors. Like We're we're transitioning to a a new phase of Raptors basketball here. And the organization, like we've said, is going to look different. But this is the guy who's going to be the constant. And I realize it's a hard lesson to learn to go out this way and to struggle as much as he did. Turned over the ball five times last night. But this is the guy. This is the guy you're going with. This is the guy you're rolling with. Hard lesson, but you have to hope that he's going to come out and he's going to be better for it in the long run. I don't think it was anything pressure-wise. You know, I just feel like um, I wasn't at my best, and and when I'm at I'm, I'm my best, you know, this, this team is unbelievable. So you got to be at your best at these times, and and, and, I, and I, I felt like I wasn't. How does it feel to uh, to feel responsible for for this outcome? Uh, I mean, I think you know, at the end of the day, like it's just it's part of being in this league and being at the level that I'm supposed to be at. I take a lot of the blame, man. I take a lot of the blame. Just, you know, continue to work. Like, it's a, it's a work. It's a learning experience for me. Continue to learn, um, you know, get back to the drawing boards and come back better. 
That's Pascal Siakam after last night's 92-87 loss, which you heard right here on TSN 690, or you saw it on television uh, on TSN TV with uh, Matt Devlin, Jack Armstrong, and I'm going to miss those two guys, uh, but thankfully Jack Armstrong is going to stick around. He joins Melnick in the afternoon every Wednesday at 4.10, so we'll still be getting our weekly dose uh, of Jack. Pascal Siakam finished with uh, 13 points, 5 for 12 from the field in 42 minutes. Had to play big minutes. I also saw where you know people were questioning Nick Nurse in terms of how long he stuck with Siakam. Siakam actually got the hook early in the first quarter, but pretty much played uh, the rest of the way after that. Uh, OG Ananobi also, I thought, struggled on the offensive end last night. Four points in 35 minutes. And we mentioned Marcus Saul, who's going to be uh, a free agent. Marcus Saul finished with uh, six points, 19 minutes. And yeah, maybe Nick Nurse stuck with Marcus Saul a little bit too long. Uh, I get that. But again, I don't know how healthy uh, Serge Ibaka was. 14 points in limited minutes last night. He played 20, uh, and we know he was in a walking boot uh, after Game 5, heading into Game 6. He played both Game 6 and Game 7. I don't know how healthy he was. I don't know if he was on a minutes restriction. I know that uh, Nick Nurse said that he wasn't, uh, but I just I don't know how healthy Serge Ibaka was. Um Van Vliet led the way, 20 points. And again, we mentioned Fred Van Vliet. This might be his last game as a member of the Toronto Raptors. And I think that's a player that you're going to miss. Not necessarily a star player, uh, but I think he's become more than just a role player. Uh, You know, I think that was a pretty dynamic backcourt with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet uh, throughout the season. And Kyle, I mean, again, 16 points, fouled out right near the end. I was frustrated with himself. He could tell. He knew it. But... It goes back to what I've been saying going into Game 7. I just I felt like they were running on fumes already and they had to play a double overtime game. Kyle Lowry's 34 years old. I, I didn't know what he had left in the tank. And we saw the Raptors make a lot of mistakes last night that were uh, very uncharacteristic in fairness to them. Turned over the ball 18 times. And Boston capitalized. And I, I chalked that up to... The Raptors just being gassed. And this was it. This is all they had left. And and honestly, even if they went through Boston and they end up advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, I, I don't know what they have left in the tank. Like, Miami is no joke. And Miami-Boston series is going to be terrific. Jimmy Butler against Jason Tatum. And oh, by the way, if you're... You know, a Toronto Raptors fan or a casual basketball fan in Canada who only really pays attention to Jason Tatum, well, you got your your introduction to Jason Tatum in this series because the man went off 29 points in Game 7. He was a star. And when you coming into the series that he was a star, I think he's on superstar. He's bordering on superstar territory. And I think you're watching somebody turn into... You know, going, he's going to go from a, a great player to one of the elite players in, in the league. And for Jason Tatum, it's not just about the 29 points or the 12 rebounds. It's not about that last night. But how about at the end of the game, when Grant Williams steps up to the free throw line, the Raptors are down by two late in the fourth quarter. Williams misses the first one. He misses the second one from the charity stripe. And Jason Tatum's the one. The Raptors failed to box out on the uh, on the second free throw. Jason Tatum's the one who goes up, gets the rebound. He's fouled. He makes both his free throws. And the Toronto Raptors are uh, pretty much dead in the water at that point. 
But he just he came up with big moments at, at different times. I give Jason Tatum uh, a lot of credit because he he's emerged. He's emerged as one of the premier players in the NBA. He just has a great feel for the game, and he's seeing a lot of different coverages. In this series, he saw everything you could possibly see. So he's done a great job handling it. I thought the play, the two plays of the night were Smart's block and Tatum's rebound. Those were both incredible effort plays, you know, by two of our best players. So we're lucky to move on, you know, against a really special Toronto team and organization. And but yeah, Tatum's really good. Does a lot of really good things. I said earlier, I got to tip my hat off to Toronto. You know, they're the defending champs, and they got a lot of heart, and they they made us earn that. And I think when you're trying to achieve something as special as winning a championship, you're going to have to go through some things, some heartbreaks, some tough moments, a lot of adversity, and um, just see how you respond. And I think we responded really well from almost being up 3-0 to being tied 2-2 to 3-3 and coming into a must-win game. Those are the voices of Brad Stevens, head coach of the Boston Celtics, and Jason Tatum himself tipping his hat uh, to the Toronto Raptors. And uh, look, I mean, it was... uh, it was a tough. It was a tough pill to swallow if you're a Raptors fan. Of course, like I'm, I'm not a Raptors fan. I didn't grow up a Raptors fan, but clearly want to see the team do well. Um, and I realize that right now it feels like a punch in the gut. But I think if you look at it overall, like we said before, you look at this whole, you know, this experiment with Kawhi Leonard, the way it went last year, the way it finished. I think that was a heck of a run, and I think it turned a lot of people on to basketball in the country. There's just there's so many more people paying attention to basketball, I find, uh, now than there was even two years ago, thanks to the Raptors' run. And they gave it their best shot this year. And it's it's it can't be easy going out like that, but I think once, you know, once the loss kind of settles, then I think you realize that this whole thing was a success. You're Scott Lowry. It's tough to lose a game like that. You'd rather get blown out. I mean, but... No, not to say it like that, but we were right there. You know, Norm had an opportunity down in transition. Marcus Smart made a great play, a great block by him. Uh, loose ball, I get tangled up with Grant Williams. We had the chance to get stops, and that fouled me out. Uh, he missed two free throws, small things. Jason Tatum comes in and get a rebound. I mean, just small little things, the intangible things, the, the, the minute things that you you got to continue to harp on and continue to do throughout a whole NBA season. You know, the mistakes are made, but, you know, it's just it's just tough. It's just really tough. They beat us fair and square. Um, they, they played extremely hard. They, they made it tough on us. We made it tough on them. Um, you know, we had opportunities to win it, and, but the, they came out and, and did their job, and they won, and they moved on. Um, for us, you know, it's just it's sad that, you know, we have more to give, but, you know, unfortunately, we're not giving no more right now. It was uh, challenging. It was well put together. NBA and the teams and the players did a hell of a job sacrificing. We used our um, our platform for our voices to be heard and then the social injustices. Um, getting guys to go out there to vote, um, you know, justice for Breonna Taylor, um, you know, justice for everybody, you know, every black American out there, you know, that, that are being harmed by police and police brutality. Um, so I think the, the, the bubble was a success. There's Kyle Lowry who finished with... 16 points last night in 41 minutes, and, you know, he left it all out on the court. I don't think you can take anything away from Kyle Lowry, even though uh, he didn't really look like himself last night. That was a hard-fought series, and uh, he definitely gave 
everything that he have. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri. It's a new adventure. It's the first episode of the show. And uh, we're going to be with you every Saturday from 10 until noon. We're going to be talking hockey. We're going to be talking basketball. We'll talk football. Uh, we've got a whole lot to get to. Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets will join the show uh, just after 10.30, so you don't want to miss that. And uh, we will get into some more hockey talk. A report surfaced this week about the Canadians gauging other teams' interest in center Phil Deneau. That leads us to today's poll question, which is, where will Phil Deneau be playing at the start of the 2021 22 season not next year that's the final year of his contract where will he be playing the year after that we'll check the poll results and we'll tell you where i think he'll be after his current contract expires this is saturday sports with joey alfieri on tsn 690 the contract is next season so uh, kind of far from now but um you know obviously uh, everyone knows i love montreal but i know at the same time that hockey is a big business and um, I don't control. I don't control much. So uh, we'll see uh, how it goes. There's the voice of Montreal Canadian center Phil Deneau from a couple of weeks ago. That was late August. Uh, I'm Joey Alfieri. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. It's our debut episode. Uh, we're going to be with you every Saturday. At this time, 10 until noon, uh, we're going to be talking hockey. We still have a lot to get to, even though the NHL season is winding down. The Islanders staying in the series uh, in the Eastern Conference Final last night against Tampa Bay, getting a big 5-3 win. Uh, even though the season and the Cup is going to be awarded soon, uh, the draft is coming up in October Free agencies coming up like three days after the draft. Uh, we've got a lot to get to uh, over the next couple months, so we'll be with you here every Saturday, 10 until noon, talking hockey, talking football, uh, and talking anything else sports that you can think of. Uh, all right, that's Phil know That leads us to our poll question of the day, which you can vote on on Twitter. Uh, Saturday sports, sports poll question is, where do you think Phil know will be playing at the start of the 2021-22 season? After his current contract expires, he has one year left on his deal, and he's expected uh, to be a free agent after that. So I want to know where Montreal is, where your head is at right now when it comes to Phil Deneau, because we did see a report this week from Elliot Friedman uh, who mentioned that the Canadians were gauging interest on Phil Deneau, uh, not necessarily shopping him, but just wanted to see you know, what the market is or would be uh, for a guy like that. And uh, looking at the poll results, 77% believe that Phil Deneau will be a Montreal Canadian after this upcoming season, which will start in, I don't know, November, December, January, depending on who you listen to. Uh, and I kind of, I got to be honest with you, I kind of feel the same way. I feel like Phil Deneau is here to stay. I don't think, I think, look, I, I mentioned this, I mentioned this to Pierre Maguire on Melnick in the afternoon yesterday. Um, and he didn't necessarily agree with me, but I still... Look, I don't know this for sure, but I don't think the Canadians mind that it becomes public that they're gauging interest on Phil Deneau. I don't think they mind that. Because although I'm sure Phil Deneau doesn't have a problem moving anywhere else, you know, if it came to that, either by trade or in free agency, I think the guy deserves to get paid, and I think he is going to get paid, whether it's here, whether it's elsewhere... I think you look at it and you say to yourself, Mark Bergevin was in Chicago, came to Montreal, clearly identified Philip Deneau as a player that he liked, went out and acquired him at the trade deadline a few years ago for Dale Weiss, Thomas Fleischman. And they got it. The Canes also got a draft pick, by the way. Probably the best trade of Mark Bergevin's tenure 
with the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, it is hard to trade for a center. Mark Bergevin has admitted that, and I give him credit because he traded for Suzuki and traded for Phil Deneau. That's two of your top three centers right there, so he was able to trade for a couple of guys. But I don't think anybody's going to convince me that the Canadians are going to let him walk. Now, maybe Phil Deneau's initial demands are a little crazy, but I also understand, you know, I, I know people have kind of pegged Phil Deneau into that third-line center, and, they, you know, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, Phil Deneau's your third-line center. You're an elite Stanley Cup-winning team. Look, I hate to break it to you. I don't think Phil Deneau's a third-line center in the NHL anymore. And I realize he plays with good players in Brendan Gallagher and Thomas Tatar, but you're talking about a guy who maybe doesn't score very much, and I'd still I'd love to see him shoot the puck. But, man, this is a guy who still managed to put up 50 points this year. He's 27 years old. And I don't know if he can give you much more in terms of offensive production, but he does everything else so well. And let's be honest, Phil Deneau has it good here. I think people's expectations were that he was going to be that shutdown player, and he's turned into more than that. And so even when he goes for these droughts, I, fi- I think he finished the season with like two goals. I, he scored a goal in, in game five against the Flyers, but I think he finished with like two goals in 33 games. And he doesn't really get that much criticism for it because people don't really expect him to produce big numbers. So he's kind of like in that position where as long as he puts up respectable numbers, and he has, I don't think people are going to complain because he does everything else so well. And there's not many guys who play top-line minutes in Montreal that get a pass when it comes to criticism for not producing offensively, he's one of those guys. And you heard it in the soundbite on the way in, he doesn't want to leave Montreal. And if I was him, I wouldn't want to leave either. But the thing is, I think he sees long-term exactly where the Canadians are headed with Suzuki and Kotkaniemi. But I'm not convinced that Phil Deneau is going to be a third-line center over the course of a full season as soon as next year. Long-term, I don't know. But, you know, I still have questions about Kotkaniemi being able to do what he did in a 10-game snippet in the playoffs, you know, compared to a whole upcoming season. Like, I don't know if Kotkaniemi can do that right now. I think he'll get there in terms of production and in terms of throwing his weight around. But can he do it day in, day out as a 20-year-old in the NHL as soon as next year? I don't know. I think we'll see it in spurts. But I don't know that he can do it I don't know that he can do it right away. J'adore produire offensivement. J'ai vraiment euh, adoré mon rôle les deux dernières années. Euh, je sais que je suis capable de, d'aller chercher un autre niveau aussi. Donc, je ne sais pas si je veux me limiter à un rôle exact, euh, euh, juste défensif euh, dans ma game. C'est dur à dire pour l'instant parce que, tu sais, les gars font beaucoup de choses qui changent. Puis, euh, le coach fait des, certaines choses pour gagner. Euh, puis aussi, tu sais, on a, c'était vraiment, on, est, on était à court terme, on est, euh, il voulait voir certains joueurs aussi, comme KK, puis euh, il a très bien fait d'ailleurs. Euh, donc, c'est, c'est, c'est dur à dire hein, pour l'instant, réellement, ce que mon rôle peut convenir exactement, mais de ce que j'ai vu en playoff, mon rôle, c'était euh, très défensif, euh, ce qui est mon bread and butter, by the way, mais mm-hmm. euh, comme j'ai dit, je sais que je suis capable d'amener plus que ça. 
comme que j'ai prouvé les deux dans les années. Yeah, clearly Phil Deneau doesn't want to be in a defensive-only role. You're listening to Sports Saturday on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri. How are contract negotiations going between the Blue Jackets and restricted free agent Pierre-Luc Dubois? And what was it like to play a five-overtime game against Tampa Bay in the Stanley Cup playoffs? The Columbus forward will tell us on Sports Saturday on TSN 690. It's over. Fanned opportunity for Atkinson. Now Dubois. They score! Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's a lifeline for Columbus. Columbus is free. Here they come. Two on one. Dubois with Texier. A shot. He scores! Pierre-Luc Dubois has tied it. Alexander Texier. Here come the Blue Jackets. Dubois all alone in for a chance. He scores! It's a hat trick and an overtime winner for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, good times, and as if we didn't like Pierre-Luc Dubois enough, he did that against the Toronto Maple Leafs, which brought a smile uh, to Canadians fans from coast to coast, I'm sure. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, uh, we're with you till noon. And just a reminder, the Impact's Assistant Sporting Director, Vasily Krimanzidis, uh, will join us on the show just after 11.05. But right now... It's a pleasure to welcome the man who scored that hat-trick against the Toronto Maple Leafs, just like we heard on the way in, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Pierre-Luc, what's going on, man? How you been? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What's the offseason been like after, you know, you guys had so much time off, you came back for the playoffs? What's it been like? What have you been up to? Oh, I I came back um, to Columbus, uh, took a little break. Uh, My mom was there for for while we were in the bubble. Um, I have two dogs, so she was helping me with that. And then I just got back to Montreal. Right now I'm quarantining, so... Um, I'm just waiting for this two weeks to end and then, um, you know, trying to maybe after that work out and get back to it. What was the bubble like? Like we, We've seen snippets of, you know, what's going on. You guys were there, you know, you won the playing round, you played around against Tampa Bay. Uh, what was it like to, to be in there? How'd you deal with that mentally? Yeah, it was, uh, I think the NHL did a, a good job um, of keeping things safe, uh, firstly, and then entertaining and, and, you know, as fun as possible. Um I think once the game started, once the playing round started, um, it was it was a little bit easier. Before that, uh, just you know, playing the one game, then practicing. I think for four or five days, uh, there's not much to do after your your hour of practice. Um, they asked us also to stay in our hotel rooms and you know couldn't walk around too much. So uh, it was a little tough, but um, like I said, I thought I think they did a really good job of, of keeping it safe and doing as best as possible and doing you know making it as fun as possible for us. Yeah, you you had a, a really good regular season. I, I really just watching you guys. You know, I pay special attention to Columbus because of you. Because I, you know, I appreciate watching uh, Torts behind the bench. Um, and I thought you took it to another level in the Toronto series. Like you, the game three, you took over with the hat trick. Um, I just I felt like you were a much more comfortable player. Like you were the man after uh, Panarin left last year and this year I just I felt like you took charge of the situation and I think you had a point per game in the playoffs did you did you feel that way did you feel like it went okay for you yeah I think this season um you know I I think I learned a lot like you said we we lost uh players last year like Panarin who who I played with basically my two first years um so I want to take a little step this year um our systems changed uh a lot of things changed so it was a little kind of a learning curve but I think it got better and better and then in the playoffs um you know, I wanted to be a difference maker for our team, and um, you know, we 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 played well as a team, and um, I thought, uh, you know, I, I did some good things, did some bad things, but I think the playoffs went pretty, went, uh, pretty decent. 
He's Columbus Blue Jackets center Pierre-Luc Dubois joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Uh, all right, I got to tell you the other thing I love from you, I love that you snapped back at Torts on the bench. Like, did you know that that was going to go viral in the moment? And did you have a good chuckle about it after? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's kind of in the heat of the moment. Um, yeah, after the game, I, I looked on my phone and I saw... Uh, you know, all my friends and family texted me about, uh, you know, they said it was kind of all over the place. So, um, yeah, I had, a, I had a laugh about it after. But, um, you know, like I said, it's one of those things that's in the intensity of the game, the heat of the moment. Okay, but do we, as as like media and fans watching, do we make a bigger deal out of that than it actually is? Um, I mean, it's just he's an intense coach. I, I think everybody knows that. Um, you know, I, I want to win. Um you know, I'm a competitive guy, and I mean, it's he's torts, and I mean, it's a, it's kind of the the territory that comes with him. He's an intense coach, like I said, and he says what's on his mind. And as a player, I mean, it's it's not the first time that I've I've seen him snap like that, not just at me, but in general. So um, it's just kind of something you get used to, I guess. Uh, how surprised were you? Listen, it's not to take anything away from Bruce Cassidy, but I thought torts would win. Uh, the Jack Adams this year. How surprised were you that he didn't? Yeah, he did a he did a good job with with our team this year. Um, you know, we we everybody kind of wrote us off. Um, you know, us in the dressing room, we always knew that we had a good team that that can make the playoffs and, and be a good team, competitive team. Um, like I said, a lot of people wrote us off, and um, you know, we we beat Toronto to. I mean, I know Toronto technically was the playoffs, but. You know, we beat Toronto to really make it to the playoffs. Um, lost in five to Tampa, but but you know every game was tight. It could have gone either way. Um, you know, I don't know exactly the criteria for for voting for for that award, but I mean, I guess every year it's kind of a toss up in the coaches. Yeah, it's it's broadcasters, and I think you know how he could be a little prickly in the post game press conferences. I think that probably did him in. To be honest with you, that's how I feel. But. Anyways, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, give me your best torch story that nobody's ever heard. Uh, I, I have a lot, so um, I, I don't know if I can pick one. I mean, like I said, he's someone that, that really says what's on his mind, um, and he, he's not going to sugarcoat it either. Um, you know, whether you like it or not, he's going to tell you how he feels. And, um, yeah, you have, to be, you have to have thick skin, and you have to – you know, be a guy that doesn't um, get intimidated or, or can lose confidence too much. But um, I mean, like I said, he—I got a lot of stories. I can't—I can't really just pick one. Okay, do you have one of him being like a total softy, like behind the scenes? I guess when there's a dog around, maybe he kind of melts. Yeah, yeah. He—we uh, had this guy that uh, would come in, had a dog, and you know, towards loves dogs, and uh, sometimes um, in the dressing room at one point, I'm not. I'm not gonna name the name of the guy, but he put a like on our TV in our locker room, put a top ten Torts moments, and uh, Torts' office is not too far, and put the volume really loud, and you know Torts just came out, looked at it, and just started laughing, and walked back to his office. So <laughs> it's a uh, little, yeah, little moments like that. So you guys beat Toronto in Game Five, and then you play the marathon to start the series against Tampa Bay. Like, take me through the intermissions. What's going through your mind? Are you woofing down, like, hot dogs, pizza? Like, what's what, like, what are you guys doing there? Yeah, I mean, the, you never think it's going to make it to 
five <laughs> overtime. So I, <laughs> I think the first couple, it's, I mean, we've all been in overtime before. So the first couple overtimes, it's just like, I just, you know, stay with it. And we're going to get something here. And then at some point, I, I think after like the third or fourth one, then it just becomes like, I don't know. Nobody knows what's going on. Like you get to a point where it's, it's hard to, to score or create because you get an opportunity, but you're so tired and you're cramping up that, um, you know, you, you don't really have the opportunity, the window to, to get on that two on one or three on two or something like that. So it's just getting pucks on that guys. You see guys eating, you see guys, you know, drinking a lot of water, um, shakes, whatever, whatever it takes to, to not cramp up, I guess. Yeah, and then the way it ended, I mean, with uh, I think it was Nudevara that got clipped up high with the puck and falls to point. Like, what's that like? That can't feel like just a normal loss in a series. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of weird. Um, like you said, it's one of those goals that just bounces to to the guy, then turns around, shoots, and scores. And I mean, I think it, it it's just a loss, really. But I mean, after five overtimes, um, you know, maybe it feels a bit more, but. Uh, I think the the after that everybody just wanted to recuperate and get ready for game two. So give me the scouting report on on Tampa Bay here. Like if if somebody on the Islanders called you and said, "Hey, I need some advice. Uh, we're down uh, we're down two one. What can I do against Tampa Bay?" Uh, well, honestly, they're they're a really good team. Um, you know, they they changed a bit from last year uh, when we beat them. They're they're a little heavier. Um, you know, a little bit better on the forecheck. Uh, I think defensively they're they're a bit. Uh, stronger too as a unit um and i think kutrov and point have been playing really really well for them since the start of the series um they're a they're a really good team the islanders are playing really well too um that's going to be a really good series but yeah I, I think the only thing the islanders can do is you know just keep playing their their game they have an identity that's that's set they're really hard to play against and um i don't think you have to to win you have to you know keep your identity Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Uh, do you uh, do you keep watching the playoffs or do you tune out once you guys are done? Uh, I tuned out for a bit. Um, then now that I'm back here and I'm in quarantine, there's not much to do. So <laughs> yeah. I've I've been uh, I've been you know keeping up uh, with the games a bit. Sometimes just watching the highlights or, or stuff like that. But um, I think once the the finals come, then that's when I'll 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 start paying more attention to it. Who's the toughest center to match up against in the league right now? The toughest center, uh, and as you know, there's a lot of good ones. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, I think it's it's still Patrice Bergeron or Sidney Crosby. Um, Bergeron, you you know that if you're one on one against him, uh, <laughs> you you really have to be tough to to win that battle because he's his you know his stick's so good. Um, I mean, same type, I guess, with Ryan O'Reilly. Two guys that are really hard to play against. And then Sidney Crosby, it's just he's so strong, so smart. Um, I think he makes everybody on the ice better. He makes them all a threat. So that's what's dangerous about him. But I think those those two or three are the probably the hardest to play against. Do you have a moment against Bergeron where you're like, oh, man, like this is going way too fast for me? Uh, well, definitely in the face-off circle, that, <laughs> that's for sure. He's got a heavy stick in there. Um, and then I just like in the corner battles and one-on-ones, um, you know, I'm 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 a big I'm a big guy, and I, I like to get in those one-on-one battles. But against him, you know, it's a it's a mix of of strength and and smart, and you know, his stick. He's just uh, he's just a different beast in the corner. 
And here over the last couple of days, not sure if you've heard the storylines, there's been talk about Phil Deneau's future in Montreal, but uh, you guys have lined up against each other quite a bit. Uh, what are your impressions of, of Phil and how challenging is it to go against him? Yeah, to me, it's it's kind of the, along the same lines as Bergeron. He's he's a big guy. He's smart. Um, you know, he's conscious defensively. He's also good offensively, um, good on face-offs. I mean, I, I think guys like that um really hard to play against um you know not just i think you know the guys that just play the defensive side of the game and don't bring much offense it's it's one thing but you know guys like Dano who who contributes defensively hard to play against but also can contribute offensively i think uh guys like that are are very valuable to teams it's incredible whenever you come on with me, uh, Pierre. Look, I get like a, a flooding of messages. Everybody here just wants to make sure, like they want to make sure you're happy. You're happy in Columbus, right? Yeah. yeah everything, okay, good. I figured. Uh, contract negotiations, you guys close? Have you guys talked? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Um, haven't talked yet. What? So what's the, like, what's your plan? Like, they haven't said when training camps are going to resume yet. Have they told you guys anything, like when to be ready for? Uh, it's still up in the air right now. I think <laughs> I think the first date was November 17th. Yeah. Um, then I think now it's probably going to get pushed back again. Um, I've heard January 1st. I've heard January 15th. I've heard December tw- uh, 17th. I mean, I don't think – I think right now it's just uh, stay in shape, get as ready as possible, and then when, when you get the call, um, be ready to come back for training camp. But it's kind of a – a different situation right now. Hang in there in quarantine, man. Uh, all the best this off season and uh, going forward. Hope you break the bank uh, this summer or the, I guess this fall now. And uh, hopefully we can talk to you down the line, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. That's Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Columbus Blue Jackets joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. And folks, I uh, I asked him. He seems like he's pretty happy in Columbus, just like I'd imagined. And uh, you can keep dreaming if you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens for Pierre-Luc Dubois because I think that's the exact player that they would need. Uh, but uh, I really don't think like it's going to happen. You hear him talk about the five-overtime game there. I can just imagine what it's like to play five overtimes and lose to Tampa Bay. I don't know. That that seems like it would sting and it would linger with me quite a while. I don't think I'd take that too well. How many games, speaking of Tampa Bay, will the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win with Tom Brady at quarterback in 2020? Are they being overhyped? Are they legit Super Bowl contenders? I'll tell you. This is Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. If this offense struggles, not just Sunday, but in the first quarter of the season, and they're, they're having trouble moving, you know, Bruce Arians, the coach, Brian Leftwich, the O.C., it's going to surprise a lot of people, you know, and that's the thing we have to remember. There was, there is no preseason this year. They had limited time to get this thing working. So I would caution people that if, if, if they get off to a less than prolific start, not only in on Sunday, but in the next few games after that, Give it some time to marinate. That's uh, NFL insider Eric Edholm on Mullick in the afternoon yesterday talking about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are a uh, trendy, I don't know, I guess they're a trendy pick this year. Tommy, anywhere he goes, he makes headlines. So I think that's why people are kind of turned on to Tampa Bay this year. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till uh, till 12 o'clock. 
At 11.05, uh, we will talk impact with uh, the team's assistant sporting director, Vasily Kremenzidis. The impact schedule actually uh, for the rest of September just came out, so we'll get his thoughts on that. The impact are going to be around uh, the United States quite a bit, and they're not going to be hanging out in Montreal very much between now and the start of October, but uh, we'll touch on that with Vasily in the next few minutes here. Uh, but uh, we heard at home on the way in, uh, That's uh, they open up this weekend against the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees, by the way, uh, who they're now division rivals, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, two guys over 40 years old who've had a lot of success uh, in the NFL. Uh, I'm going to slow down on the hype train uh, when it comes to Tom Brady and the uh, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I, like, I like the addition. I like that he went there. I saw where uh, I think the final list of teams that Tommy actually narrowed it down to uh, was the Bucks, the Bears... And I think the Chargers, but he didn't really want to go out west. I heard that this week. Uh, I think that was a report by Dan Patrick uh, down south. Uh, but it would have been interesting to see him go to the Bears. He ended up. He ends up with Tampa. Rob Gronkowski follows. They signed Leonard Fournette last week. Uh, they have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin already. I think my big question mark there. He obviously has the weapons. Uh, Tommy does, but how does the offensive line hold up? I think they they. You know, they've beefed it up a little bit. They drafted Tristan Wirfs, uh, the offensive lineman, in the first round. I think there's some debate as to whether or not he can hack it uh, at left tackle. But I don't know. And, and you heard Edholm there bring up a pretty good point. Like, there's a lot of new pieces in this Tampa Bay offense. And I just wonder if they don't get off to a slow start. And look, again, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. But these people that are assuming that because Tom Brady's there and they've got Mike Evans, who's doubtful this week, by the way, uh, and uh, Chris Godwin at wide receiver, uh, they've got a really talented group of tight ends with uh, with O.J. Howard, Gronk, like we mentioned, Cam Bright, uh, Anthony O'Claire, uh, the uh, the uh, Quebecer. That's that's a very good group. They got Ronald Jones at running back, Leonard Fournette. Like there's there's weapons there. Can the offensive line protect Brady? That's what I'm concerned about. And how long before they get comfortable with each other? We saw during the offseason that Brady went to Tampa early, practiced with his teammates, met up with a whole bunch of different guys, uh, and uh, pushed the boundaries of uh, of uh, isolation and quarantine a, a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, they, they got... They You're got listening to, to the home of... Oops. Because they... Um, they realized that it would take some time for them to gel and for them to figure it out. So, look, I think when it comes to Brady, I think you need to be uh, realistic. Uh, people have them as a shoe-in for double-digit wins. I personally don't see it, but I could be wrong. Let's hear some more Eric Edholm. Yeah, I mean, here's the way I look at it. If you're the optimist, you say to yourself, they were a 7-9 and football team a year ago with – you know, a pick factory, at quarterback. And I, you know, I, I kind of like Jameis Winston. <laughs> I like elements of him, you know, but the guy threw interceptions at a rate of two per game and fumbles too. I mean, it was, it was not just the picks. A lot of them were returned for touchdowns too. So if you just figure that Brady is going to be his typical ball handling himself, himself, you're cutting the, the turnovers down by at least one per game. That right there, that's a possession, you know, that's possibly points, you know, and, you know, if you start at that point and realize that, you know, this young defense made some strides, you know, they have all this talent. Brady has a way of bringing things together. He's worked with far less talent before, offensively anyway, and won Super Bowl. So that's the optimist view. The pessimist view is 
hey, what about the offensive line? What about that chemistry we talked about? What happens if Evans is, is nicked up early in the year? He's such an important guy. What if Gronk mails it in? You know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of pitfalls, too. So, like you, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that by, by October we might see something pretty interesting. But early on, I wouldn't be shocked if they're, they're not quite in midseason form. Yeah, I, I think they'll battle it out for a wild card spot. I, I don't think they're going to win the division, and I think the division's going to be better too. Like they're going to be better than they were last year. I think the Saints will be fine, even though I don't think Drew Brees is going to light it up as much as he has in year past. They've gone pretty run heavy. Uh, Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater, eh? I don't know how I feel about them either. I think they're kind of in a transition phase. And Atlanta, you just you don't know. Uh, you just don't know what you're going to get from year to year. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how Atlanta bounces back, but I do think that they are talented. Of course, Matt Ryan is still the quarterback there. They've got Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. They've got weapons in Atlanta too, uh, and if they can put it all together, they're definitely a talented side as well. Yesterday, we found out that the Impact were going to spend the rest of September traveling around the United States. How do they feel about that? Is it going to be tough to get players on board with this? The Impact's assistant sporting director, Vasily Kremenzidis, will tell us. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. 